and he was also able to visit them a time or two. And so this is a letter written to them uh, to encourage them while he himself is in prison again. And uh, I wonder if this time if he tried patting his foot and singing the song him and Silas sang in Philippi years earlier to see if the same thing would happen. But, you know, we serve a God that does something different every day. He's not a formula God. He's not in a box. He sometimes moves mountains. Sometimes he takes us through the mountains. Sometimes he makes the mountains as nothing. Sometimes he makes us bigger than the mountain. He is just a God that's incredible, and we need him to help us. Amen. If there's ever a theme for the service today, it would be that we truly need God. Um, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to really look at verse 12 and 13. But before we do, I'd like to just start with verse 5, kind of cover some of the context. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So being equal with God was not something for him to work at or something for him to try to steal. He was God. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was the Word of God made flesh. And yet he was the Son of God and the Son of Man. He had a dual nature. But he came to be equal with man. He came down to our level. Look at this. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is the great condescension where the God of the heavens makes himself of no reputation. He came born under circumstances where he was accused of being illegitimate. He came as a Jew and he came as a servant, worked as a carpenter, and came as a, as a human being. And looking like a man, in appearance as a man, you didn't know who he was without a revelation from heaven. And then in his humanity, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death through torture on the cross. So here's God humbling himself for us. Um, the Gaither Band does a song by Dwight Lyles that um, says, He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. With a strong arm, he lifted me up to show me what living is. He'll come down to your level if you'll open up the door. He wants to make your life worth living. That's what he came down here for. Sometimes we make decisions that later we regret. Regret. But the Lord keeps assuring us he's not finished with us yet. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about this crazy world because we have the better way. He came down to our level when we couldn't get up to his. Are you glad about it? And as a result of that, therefore, verse 9, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those in earth and of those under the earth and of those and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
Every person, every knee will bow, every tongue, every language, every nation will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in heaven, John saw a vision of heaven that there are people there from every tribe and tongue, language, and nation. Praise on the Lord. That means every tribe and nation has to have missionary work going on for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And there's still some people groups that are considered unreached people groups. So we've got a job to do, do we not? Because that number that no man can number, where John saw us, there's some others that aren't in that number yet. Hallelujah. All right. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You ever heard, uh, while the pastor's away, the church mice play? Um, while the boss is gone, uh, the employees are partying. Here Paul is commending them that whether he's around or not, they've walked in obedience. But now much more in his absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now notice he doesn't say work for your salvation. Work out your salvation. We work out what God works in. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So our doing is a result of our being willing to do. And our being willing to do is a result of his work in our, in our hearts. And it's about his pleasure, not ours. So we do, who knows, we are called to do the will of God. But God does a work in our hearts to make us willing to do his will. We're talking this morning on the treasure of God's pleasure. Can we say that? Here is a picture of Philippi today. It's just ruins. Through wars and other things, the place doesn't exist anymore. There's a neighboring community that relates its history to Philippi and thinks that it's, it's the same place. But this is the ancient ruins. Not far from here were gold and silver mines. And a particular Greek geographer wrote this unique statement. He spoke of working out, of miners working out, the same language that Paul used here, working out the mines. Similarly, Paul exhorts Philippian believers to work out their salvation with serious effort. So viewing our salvation as though it was a mine, it's more precious than any gold and silver, who would agree? Working out that salvation like a miner works out a mine sheds light on this passage that I think is really what Paul is trying to say. He's not telling us to earn our salvation by grace that we save through faith, and that faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Who knows that's true? We are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what is our works? Our works 
is fulfilling the purpose for which we were saved. We're not saved and useless. We're saved and useful. We're saved for a purpose. If we weren't, why don't we just go to heaven when we get saved? Hey, you want to get out of this world, the world of care, just call on the name of the Lord and you're out of here. Or why don't we just not remove people from the baptistry when we immerse them? Just send them on to glory. I mean, there's some cults that have tried that. But we're saved and we're here for a purpose. And so part of our Christian growth is discovering why we're here. There's a call of God on your life that no one else can fulfill but you. I heard a story of a man on his deathbed saw another man come in who looked in a whole lot better shape than him and said, Sir, who are you? He says, I'm the man you could have been. Ouch. May God help us to see the seriousness of this, to work out our salvation. Now, what's this with fear and trembling? Because we don't want to miss it, but also because... God will oftentimes call us beyond our comfort level. We see Jesus, when we read the story from the Gospels, in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with his will. Not my will, but thy will be done. I know he loved us and everything, but he loved the Father more. And his flesh didn't want to do it. it was, he, he, he went beyond fear and trembling to the point of sweating blood. Father, is there another way? To do this thing. Is there another way to bring salvation to mankind? Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. And angels were there ministering to him. And I believe in that place, he received the willingness he needed by surrendering his will to do when he got up. When Judas kissed him, he got up. He never looked back. It's my prayer today that maybe this day, is a pivotal day in your life that when you leave this place, you're not going to look back. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to do this thing that he's called me to do. Now, it's not all tents and 18-wheelers. Let me explain that. Growing up, I wanted to be a preacher, and in that day, Preachers that had it going on had tents and 18-wheelers to haul them around. Back then, R.W. Schambach was the going thing, and I liked that guy. I wanted to do that. And um, a few years later, Yvette's mother took ill, came to live with us in her latter days for two and a half years with uh, what appeared to be Alzheimer's. I don't know that it was ever... Truly diagnosed, but her short-term memory was gone. So every day it was talking about the past. And she thought many times she was still back in Africa, and she would get up and go walk home. And uh, must be this microphone. And after about six months of this, it looked like it might be the rest of our life. Hallelujah. Lord, we just pray that your your word would go forth and we would hear it today. So after six months of her living with us with memory problems, very dependent upon us for her safety, um, 
and it was quite awkward socially. Sometimes we'd go eat at a restaurant when it would be time to leave. She'd be angry because she said she hadn't eaten yet. And she, had, she had just eaten, you know. And uh, so after six months of this, I was, I was taking out my frustration on a vet. And um, made it very tough for her because she's trapped between me and her mama. And so one day I go to God and I just tell him the truth. I tell him how I really feel. Who knows you can tell God how you really feel even if you're mad at him. I mean, I took her to a Reinhardt Bonnke meeting and she didn't get healed. <laughs> and so I told him how I really felt and he spoke to my heart. I, who knows in your place of desperation, you can hear God. He is near to the brokenhearted. I cried out to him with every, every fiber of my being, God, what's going on? He said, this question came to my heart. You know, Jesus is Jewish, and they always answer questions with questions. It's all about questions, not about answers, about questions. And so the question came, do you want me to use you? Oh, yes. Thinking, tense and 18-wheeler. Yes, I want you to use you. I was like the song goes, song that goes, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Use me, Lord. So after I got my answer out there, yes, I'm willing. Then came the next question. Then can I trust you to show a sick lady unconditional love? Oh, it broke me. I repented because my pride was there, my flesh, my will. And had God not taken me there, not that I'm all that good of a pastor, but I don't think I would be here today if he hadn't done that work in my heart. I, uh, I was arrogant. I was prideful. I would stomp on people. I, I was so arrogant that I would get into fights at Bible school. Not fist fights, but anyway. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Sometimes he will call you to something that will scare the liver in you. Better not scare it out of you because you need it. You can't live without your liver. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Right, I think I think we've seen that. But let's look at this passage through this lens of the scripture that we've got on the screen there. With verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition of conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. You know, Jesus is the only one that can live the Christian life. And sometimes we get in the way. And reading these words, they're nice. Oh, that would be a nice plaque on the wall. Let each of you not look out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Esteem others more highly than himself. Oh, that's great. But sometimes we get opportunities to do that. And it's not easy. 
So he brings in the example of Jesus, his mentality, his attitude, his mind. And we find out his mind is about more than intelligence. It's about commitment to the will of God. And then we see the reward of God, that he was given a name that's above every name, that the day will come when every every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and bow before him, declare that he is Lord. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my absence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You know, if we can live life without complaining or bickering and living harmless lives in this dark world that is not like that, you'll shine, you'll stand out. People will say, there is something different about you. Just wouldn't. This is working out of the mind of our salvation. This is doing the willingness that he's working in us. Do you see that? Sometimes I hammer on a note too much. Sometimes I don't hammer on it enough because I think I hammer on it too much. Is this clear as mud? Work it out. Dig it out till, till it makes sense to you. Verse 17, yes, and I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. He commends them for their doing this. They are working out out their salvation. They are standing up for Jesus in the midst of persecution. And he is happy and sees their service of faith as something that he can give his life to. You know, sometimes you you lay down your life for people and you you don't feel appreciated because not that they're not telling you thank you, but that they're not taking advantage of the wisdom or the impartation or the life that you're giving. They're just kind of consumers. But it blesses you when you fire somebody up and you see them go fire others up. It blesses you. When you train somebody, you see them train others. This applies in church and in, in all of life. And so he was so encouraged to see them working out their salvation with fear and trembling. He was happy to be, through his own suffering, poured out on their sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? For this same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Be glad that my suffering is paying off. Be glad. You know, we live in a country of convenience and passages like this, we kind of miss it they're not real to our experience but when God calls us to a place of surrender when we don't want to and we do we get a taste of this we get a taste of this thank God for our forefathers that gave us religious freedom in this country but they couldn't 
create us to be submissive people to the will of God. Because only God does that. It's a kingdom thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, let's look back at the example of Jesus. He worked out, not his salvation, but he worked out his purpose. He said in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John 9.4-5, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now that he is not in the world, who is the light of the world? We are. And how do we shine those lights? By working his works. Not just by that magic Christian smile. Years ago, I had a pastor who used to wear a big cross. This is before I met him. And he went to jury duty. And he's a pretty new believer, but he's already pastoring a church. And he's in this long hallway of people waiting to be called up for a jury. And so he's smiling. He's shining his light for Jesus. And someone at the end of the hallway did this to him. And he got excited. He says, all right. I'm going to be asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And he had his hands in his pocket, kind of whistling. <whistles> Bent down to the person signaling to him and said, yes. They didn't say, what must I do to be saved? They said, you're unzipped. <laughs> Smiling is important. But the shining of our light is not a shallow smile. It is the works of God. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And his last statement on the cross, after all that suffering before he died, it is finished! <laughs> Paul, when he faced the chopping block, he said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I am ready to be offered up. May that be our testimony. At the end of our journey, I've been faithful. Paul said later on in this same book, not that, I've, I, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I love this. I've quoted this earlier. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I grew up in a denomination that set standards for their membership. You want to be a member of good standing, you cannot have beard, you cannot have a TV. Boy, when computers came along, it made that rule ridiculous. But it equated good works to keeping rules. And I believe the will of God is so far beyond keeping rules. It's doing His will. You can keep all the rules in the world and be full of rebellion and not do what God is calling you to do. Amen. We're saved through faith. Not of ourselves, that faith is a gift of God. Not of works. So none of us can boast. But we are saved to work. Not by works, but to work. For his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We, we've been predestined to do the works of him. 
My last passage is Hebrews 13. May the God of peace, this is a prayer from the writer of Hebrews. May the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you all that is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him to whom be glory forever and ever. We need to pray that. Let's just reach out our hands. Lord, we pray that you as a God of all peace who brought up Jesus from the dead, our great shepherd, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, may you make us complete in every good work to do your will, working through you, in you, all that is well-pleasing in your sight, Lord. Lord, we want the treasure of your pleasure, not our own, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, not for our glory, but for yours. Amen. Jesus said in Luke 12, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Now there's some well-known teachers in the land, TV land, getting this all twisted up and getting people seeking things, putting pictures on their refrigerator and slapping it. I, I knew a guy that put a picture of a, of a yacht on his refrigerator and slapped it. I'm seeking first the kingdom. He's going to give me a yacht. You, 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 jumped, you jumped way ahead of the purpose. He meets our needs so we can fulfill his kingdom purpose. And if it's his will for you to have a yacht, hallelujah for the pictures that you have until then. But it's not our kingdom. It's his. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give you the kingdom. Give you the kingdom. Did you hear about the prosperity preacher that went, made it to heaven? So proud of his briefcase full of Rolexes and gold bars. And Peter said, what are you doing bringing pavement up here? Moron. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that we would pursue the treasure of your pleasure, Lord. Not our own, but yours be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close by just briefly looking at the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, he received an inheritance from his father early and then wasted it. And then came to his senses in the pig pen and remembered where he came from and went back home. And the father restored him. But the elder brother resented him. Remember that story? I apply that story to this situation. Many of us, maybe through incorrect teaching or just doing what comes naturally, have attempted to mix Christian principles with our self-willed ways. And we have wasted some years of our life when God maybe hasn't called you to do what you're doing. Today you can return to the Father's will. You can run back to the Father's house. Here's a remix. Shake you like this. A remix on the prodigal parable. First you have the prodigal. He rebelled. And he repeated his rebellion. To the point his life began to regress. And then in that pig bin he began to experience regret. Then he remembered his father's house. 
and he returned, humbled himself and repented and was reconciled to his father. The other character in the story is the father. He received his son. He remitted or forgave his son. He released him from the disappointment that he had brought to him. He restored him into full fellowship, put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and rejoiced with him, put on a party, had a band, had a dance. And that's our father today. Maybe we've had a selfish-centered, self-willed life, or we've been resistant to God's will. Um, the father welcomes us back. Then there's the brother. He resented his brother for doing what he did. He rejected his brother when he came home. He refused to participate in the celebration. And he was remiss. That is, he was ne negligent to enjoy the blessings that were his. He could have had a fatted calf any day. And he's whining about dad not killing the goat for him. <laughs> It's possible to stay in church, be religious, not be a prodigal, live in wild, but not enjoying the treasure of God's pleasure. Come on back home. Come on home. Amen. Praise the Lord. Could the prayer team join me across the front? We're going to open the front for prayer. If you're here and you need to respond to the word that Brooke gave, remember the word before I spoke that there were some here, maybe one or more, that are facing situations that only God can fix and maybe you didn't receive prayer today, well, don't leave here without that opportunity. Maybe you'd like to respond to the word, just have time with God on your own or pray with a brother or a sister before you leave. Just Pastor Shake leads us in worship. Let's respond to the word. Uh, just take a piece of paper if you're not coming forward for prayer and just, just write a question on it. God, what, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? Where am I to remain faithful? Or where am I to step out of my comfort zone with fear and trembling to do your will? Amen. Begin to work out the mind of his pleasure in your life.
we are called to live the commands of Christ. Who knows that? Rules, you can turn the commands of Christ into rules. Rules are for the rebellious. And if you're rebellious, you need some rules because if you don't, you're going to mess your life up and have hell to pay. No, that's true. That's true. But if we pursue the ruler, the rules become a pleasure. Yes. You'll look behind and see, man, I'm obeying Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. But if you're not pursuing the will of God, taking what I said out of context, saying I don't have to have rules anymore, you're going to screw your life up. They get mad at me. Rules are for the rebellious, but for the obedient, the ruler reigns. Amen.